Hello everybody, welcome to The Great Sources, Season 2, Episode 6. Today, we will discuss something of great consequence, something really serious, a matter literally of life and death, which is the ramifications of the Shalosh how are we supposed to apply them in practice. Now that we've defined them in the past year, which I'm going to review Briefly, we have to understand how to apply them, how to apply them actually in our lives, how should we think about them, and what we should we do about them. So, a quick review of last week's shear, which was the final shear that proved that the idea of the Shavuos are a grave warning to Yisrael about not underestimating and not misunderstanding their place in the world, and how precarious their position is vis-a-vis -vis the other nations, given that they are special people with a special destiny that can be very problematic for the rest of the world to accept, and in fact, as we discussed, also very problematic for themselves to live up to before it's time. They shouldn't assume that they can just go there after Israel and everything will be fine. They have to consider the implications, the practical implications, in a broad, in a broad sense, politically, socially, and economically, etc. So, just to review, as I mentioned that one of the versions of the Shavuos is in the Medrashut and Shiashirim is that there's a Shavu against rebuilding the base on Mikdash, which is a mitzvah in the Torah. Chulam, everyone agrees that that's a mitzvah in the Torah, but the idea is that's very dangerous and sensitive. It's a sensitive topic, sensitive idea, as we see today, how. Um, how sensitive the issue of the bias is. So basically, don't think that you can just do it and everything will be fine. There is no such guarantee. Everything will be fine when everything will be fine and not before. Okay? I mentioned also the Medrash, that same Medrash says that don't build a Bismarck until there is a voice from heaven. And that's based on the Drush and Shirim of Kol Daidi. In Ezebah, that comes after the Pasuk of Ishbati, says the voice of my beloved is, is here, the voice of my lover. So, so the idea is that we have to hear a voice from Hashem, from heaven. And I mentioned that we shouldn't assume that that means a literal voice from heaven, something akin to Maimon um, Sinai, let's say. That's not the idea. It might be a muscle for some sort of mass shift in perception, or some sort of mass inspiration. And this actually, this very idea I wanted to add to last week, I wanted to add this point, this very thought is suggested, alluded to, in a letter from the Ritziv. There's a letter from the Ritziv, it's printed in this book called Shivas Tzioin, which is a collection of statements, letters, articles by Gedele Yisrael regarding the return to Eretz Yisrael. Mostly from uh, early 20th century. And in that book, there's a letter from the Ritziv, which he wrote about, to support, he wrote it in support of repopulating and rebuilding Eretz Yisrael. And he's, he's in support of that, he's in favor of that, and says we have to do whatever we can to aid in that project. And he says, um, Aleinu l'his it's upon us to be 
misoyer lekol rutz nashem hanishma miktzeh elavad katzeh to the voice of Hashem's will that is being heard from one end of the, one end of the world to the other. So it's very interesting. He picks his terms very specifically. He says we have to be misoyer. We have to awaken. That's not to be meirer the avad shtepos. He says we should be awakened by what? By the voice, the voice of Hashem's will that you can hear from one end of the world to the other. So those who are able to hear Hashem's voice, the Nitzvah is saying he heard Hashem's voice in the um, in the awakening in the, in the revolution of the idea of how people were being gripped by the uh, by the by the fervor and the excitement for Eretz Yisrael. That is what the Nitzvah is saying is that's the voice that's being heard from one end of the world to the other, and therefore. We should be misayir because we're not supposed to be the Abba, not supposed to arouse the love on Like the Medrash says, until there's a voice from heaven, says that it's if here's your voice from heaven, this awakening, right? Like you say, there's an awakening, and that awakening is like in the language of a marshal, there's a sound, there's a there's a voice that's awakening you. So basically, you could say in short, you could say just like the shavuos, the actual oath is a marshal, as the Rambam says in the Tamon, then the coil, the voice in the next passage, the voice that we're supposed to hear from heaven, is also a marshal. Shirashim is about the most absolute fundamental truths in reality, but the language that it uses for those is a language of love and the language of, of Nisham. So it would be a big error to take the language of marshal and to um, read it literally, obviously, as we know. If we take the Torah literally, lots of things that are not true would be assumed to be true. Okay, Shirashim is obviously in that genre of a marshal, and um, the coil, the voice that was supposed to hear from heaven, is allegorical, probably. And uh, the Nitziv is, is alluding, suggesting as much. Okay, so we also showed, just to finish our review, we also showed that even according to Ramban, that the Mitzvah itself, the Mitzvah say, one of the 613 commandments, Still, even according to Ramban, this mitzvah, this mitzvah, this formal, literal, obligatory mitzvah, is very different than other mitzvahs in that it's subject to kinds of practical considerations that other mitzvahs are not subject to. We don't decide whether we should all put on tefillin based on whether it's going to work out for our abilities to um, hold down a job or to or to fit in with the other nations and not be looked at as funny and not be mistreated or not provoking anti-Semitism. That's not a consideration when it comes to keeping Shabbos or wearing tefillin. But as Israel, the mitzvah itself is subject to practical considerations, practical national considerations, like can we all do this together? Is it going to work? Are we going to be a functional nation? Are we going to be personally secure, most importantly secure, and also, of course, economically secure and socially secure as we as we showed that there were places that they didn't capture when they came back from Babel because they wanted them to be not at Kedushet so, so that the Aniyim could rely on them during Shemitah which means that there is no mitzvah to take over at soil if it's going to if it's not going to work if you don't have a good economic system and in Inuf Shemitah if Shemitah is what gets into the way of that economic system, meaning you say, look, it could work, we could capture it so, but Shemitah is going to be a problem because one every seven years, people are not going to have um, Tanasa. So don't just say, no, no, it's it's all, it's Shemitah, everything's going to be fine. No, 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 you have to think about it, you to think about it, you to think about the economy, you to think about Aniyim, and the right course of action is don't take parts of Etzol, which is a mitzvah, to capture Etzol, don't do it because that mitzvah is subject 
to practical uh, economic, etc., those kinds of considerations. We brought some other proofs to this, and now we are ready, now that we finished proving, completely proving what the Shavuos are in general, now we can try to explain what the Shavuos are, how to, how to live up to them. So I want to start with mentioning something that I mentioned early in the series, which is the Ramban in Sefer HaGeula. The Ramban says the following. The Ramban says, this is in the, um, if you're looking at the sources, this is source number two in the source sheet. The Ramban says that when there was an opportunity to return from Bavel after 70 years of exile, <coughs> not everyone took that opportunity. Says the Ramban, only the people in Bavel returned. And even then, not all of them, but that's not the Ramban's point. Why didn't the people from the rest of the world, meaning the Jews, the Jews that were scattered in other countries, Mephuzim of Fayyard, as it says in the Megillah, how come they didn't come back? If you look at Sefer Ezra Nehemiah, it talks about the, the Aliyah from Bava. What about the people in the other countries? Okay? They Mephuzim of Fayyard, and they didn't return. By the way, Agav once mentioned the Rambam in Nigeris um, Tamon, actually, mentions a a tradition that he has from his from his forefathers who were in Spain from the days of Bayesvishin. So the, Ram, the Rambam had a Messiah about his own family having been in Spain by Bayesvishin. Just a bit there. So why did they, why did the people from Spain come back in, in, in the Bayesvishin? Says the Ramban, maybe Kirsch didn't give them permission to question how to learn the Pesukim. But if Kirsch on the Tzad, in Tzulimit, Kirsch did allow all his subjects from all the kingdom, not just the Babylonians, not just the ones who are living in Babylonians, if he allowed all his subjects to return to Israel, why didn't they take that opportunity from the other countries? Why did only the people in Babel take that opportunity? It says Ramban, because the Pekido, Yirmiya said, remember Yirmiya said, after 70 years, Efkod Hashem will remember you. I will remember you, said Hashem. After 70 years, the Muslim Babel, Shivim Shana Efkod Eschem. After the 70 years of Babel are done, then says Hashem, I will remember you. So the people in Bavel knew, that as Yemir told them, they're going to have a Pekid, they're going to be remembered after 70 years. The other lands were not part of the Pekid, that means to say in the divine, the metaphysical sense, they knew that God is being piked them, remembering them. So Kirish said anyone could go back. But that wasn't a Pekid from Hashem for the other lands, really important there. And therefore, <clears throat> they were concerned that it's the Chikasakets. They were concerned to go back to Israel because of the Chikas Haket. So it's a tremendous, really important source for should everyone go back to Israel. Here you have an event in history where the majority of the Jewish people, not talking about the bubble, and bubble itself, only a minority went, and a lot of people stayed behind the bubble, and that's a problem, that's a whole discussion, we're going to get to that later in the series. We're talking about the people in the other countries who didn't go back to Israel, and according to Ramban, are not blamed for not going back to Israel. They did the right thing because they were concerned about so you have this idea that if it's not time, it shouldn't go. Okay, so now we can define it. And I think this will be a good definition of the Chikasakets in general. Or the way we're understanding the Shavuos, what does that mean? It means that they're, they're concerned that we can't just all go back to Israel. It might not necessarily work. It might not necessarily work. What won't work about it? 
So we're going to get to this later in the series, but the fact is that during Bayashini was actually a time of major stress in that soil. The Persians, okay, that worked, but then the Greeks, we know how that went. That was that was problematic, and then of course the Romans and the various Shemads that actually happened in Eretz We're going to get to this in a later shear. So Eretz was actually a dangerous place, place to be in Bayashini, and the Medrash says explicitly in the Tanhuma, we'll get to it. Like I said, we'll get to it later. Bava was safe. So there was a danger going to Eretz Okay, in Bayashini, we're talking about in the beginning of Bayashini, there was a danger. Those who didn't go said, it's the Chikazaket, meaning if we all go, there's going to be problems. More problems because we're all going, perhaps. How, you sub, how do you transplant the people who settled in? You can't just pick them up and move them. So the Chikazaket means, what is exactly the Chikazaket? The definition of the Chikazaket is to think that everything is going to be fine before everything is going to be fine. That is the Chikazaket. Hastening the Kates means to think that you could jump in and say, well, it's Israel, everything's fine. That's not true. It's not true. Just because it says it's so, and just because it looks like the Geula, doesn't mean it is the Geula, thank quotes, doesn't mean it is the Geula, and therefore don't act like it is, because maybe it's not. And you have to question, you have to say, well, what if this is not, quote-unquote, the Geula? Then what's going to happen? Then I'm not going to have a job, I'm not going to have a farm, or I'm not going to have security. So, yeah, if it's the Geula, then everything's fine. But if it's not, if you're not part of the Pekida, Let's say if you're not being remembered, if it's not, if it's not, if you don't have a guarantee of God's providence to protect you, then you have to be. It's a different calculus. You have to think about okay, logically, what's going to happen, and don't do anything otherwise, or else you're doing something wrong. And that's what the chikisakates is to think that everything's going to be fine before it's going to be th- fine. <clears throat> okay. So you know it's going to end up being great problems. So now let's get a little deeper here. You know the Satma Rebbe said. As we discussed, the shvuas are the most severe thing in Chazal. It's true. The most severe thing in Chazal. Knowing Chazal, do you find that if you do X, Hashem is going to be mafkir, the flesh of the Jews like animals. Okay, this is, doesn't get worse than that. Mamish doesn't get worse than that. Says Zatmarov, this is the single most worst thing that anyone could do. And this is what led to the Holocaust because Zionism, or the Zionistic fervor that preceded the Holocaust. Okay, now that's of course... Um, very problematic in terms of the sequential because the state was afterwards. We don't have to go into that. That only even begins to make sense. Well, I shouldn't say that. The Sam Rav's version of that idea that uh, the, the Holocaust was caused by the Avera of the Shavuos is because he considers the Shavuos to be a sin. And it's the greatest Avera, it's Kfira. We're going to get to that in later Shur and what exactly, how could that be Kfira? What exactly is Tzohamer? What's the Sam Rav Shita about that? But now that we know that the Shavuos are actually about danger. They are the most severe thing in the world because it's danger, and danger is very important. The major mitzvah is to be safe and to be secure, physically and financially, etc., and to take care of the poor and to take care of yourself. These are the biggest mitzvahs. So, it really is very, <clears throat> very chomer. If you do something dangerous, you're going to be in grave danger. And is that an Avera? Yes, it's also a Metzias. It's also the greatest Avera, but let's focus on the Metzias because the reason why it's an Avera is because it's a reality. So, it's something very interesting over here. Which is that in this understanding of the Shavuos, what they really are, the Ramah Megaris Taman and all the proofs, what the Shavuos are really all about, I would say that, um, I personally think Samarov is right, that, that the Shavuos, <coughs> transgressing the Shavuos are actually related to the Holocaust, but not the Shavuos that the Samarov talks about. Actually, one of the other Shavuos. The other Shavuos. Um, the Samarov says, Aliyah B'chaimah. Aliyah B'chaimah, the transgression of that Shavuos is what led to the Holocaust as a punishment, divine punishment. I think that the Holocaust is not a divine punishment. I think it's a, a mitzvah, it's a reality, 
of the Jewish nation endangering themselves. And actually, it's because we didn't take the Shavua seriously enough, but it's a different Shavua. And here, here it goes. And please bear with me before you jump on me for being another person who's a crazy person who considers why he knows why the Holocaust happened. Just listen to the end, please. One of the other Shavuists, um, this is the source sheet number four. The last Shavuah there is not to reveal the secret to Gentiles. So what's the secret? So Rashi has two pshatim. Soid ha'ibor or soid tamei ha'toyer. But the fact is like this. The legend of the Medjish Hashem is not that they shouldn't reveal the secret. That B'nai Yisrael shouldn't reveal their mysteries to the Goyim, to the nations. Says the Maral Netzach Yisrael, because he says this. He says, look, you see the Medrash, it's not about a certain secret. It's that they shouldn't reveal their secrets in general. It's a general statement. Rashi learns the Gemara. The Gemara says, the secrets. Rashi says, which secret? Soyed Ibor is this big secret, whatever it is. And Soyed Tamei Teira, okay? But the Maral says, oh, look at the Medrash. It says, it says, do not reveal their mysteries. Okay, so it's this general thing about not revealing our mysteries to the nations. And if we reveal our mysteries to the nations, they're going to kill us. Now let me tell you what that means. What does it mean if we reveal our mysteries to the nations? What's our mystery? It's the mystery of what it means to be a Jew. We have a lot of mysteries. Because we live, we function, and we, we look at the world in such a different way than your average guy. And, and we believe in ourselves that we have this future, uh, this messianic future. We have this, we have this mission in the world of redemption, and we're going to teach the world, and everything we believe, I don't want to reveal the mysteries in public here, but by the way, the point is, and I mean that to a certain extent, I mean the point is, what a Jew is all about. What does it mean that we're the chosen people? And how we really feel about that is a, big, is a, is a mystery that we're not supposed to reveal. I'll give you an example of a mystery that if you reveal to the guy, they're not going to like it. The Kuzri says that, that as we all know, the Kuzri says, well, I hope you know, the Kuzri says there's mineral, plant, animal, human, Yisrael. Okay? That's a mystery. That's a mystery. What do I mean it's a mystery? It's a secret. It's a secret. It doesn't say that openly in the Torah. It's something that we have. It's one of our mysteries. It's something we believe about ourselves. But we have to be very careful about revealing that. Because if we let on to the Gentiles what a Jew is all about, they're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. By the way, just, just to go through the source sheet, go in order here. There's a Itan Chuma that talks about writing down the Mishnah. Why did Hashem not, to write, not write down the Mishnah? Moshe said, I want to write down the Mishnah also. Why only give me Torah Shavasah? Let's write down Mishnah too. Let, let everything be Luchsav. Hashem said, no, no, no. Because what's going to happen is the nations are going to um, appropriate the Torah and, and take it for themselves and say it's theirs. And if you, the Torah Shavasah is also going to be written, they're going to say, they're going to say they're the Jews. And I want to know whoever has my mystery and whoever has my mystery that's, that's what is my nation. So, which means is that the Torah, the parts of the Torah that are not revealed, not explicitly written, that's the mystery, Hashem's mystery, which He gave to us. And those are our mysteries which we're not supposed to divulge. Which means, in short, don't let the Gentiles know the mystery of what a Jew is all about, what it means to be a Jew. Did we, did we uh, keep the Shavuot? I don't think we did. And I think there's a good reason why we didn't uphold this, this oath. Because... Basically, in order to do this for 2,000 years of exile, we would have had to be like a secret religion. A, we wouldn't write down any Torah Shavah Peh, because you can't have the Goyim reading Kuzri, which is by the way written in Arabic. You can't have, you definitely can't have art school. You can't have the Goyim reading 
every single thing that says in the Torah about Jews. As you know, like the Gemara in, um, in Baba Kama, where they had to tell them, <clears throat> the Roman officers who came to learn the Torah, and um, they had to tell them there was a problem with how could it be that a Shosh Yisrael, Shonosh Shonosh Akum, Spotter Shosh Lakum, Shonosh Yisrael, Schayev, doesn't make sense. That's a mystery. Torah Shabbat which, hmm, we have a problem with the game on learning what we really believe about what it means to be a Jew. But like I was saying, we wouldn't be able to do it. Why? Because how are you going to keep our religion? How are you going to raise children and tell them what a Jew is? And what it means to be a Jew and what the role is in, in, in world history, etc. And at the same time, keep that a secret. It's, very, it's a very difficult task. It's a very difficult task that was really, what, meaning, meaning, what I'm saying is like this. To keep Judaism alive, robust, to transfer it from one generation to the next. But not to write books that are accessible to people who you don't want to know the secret of what the Jews. And to tell them, don't talk about this publicly. But don't let on that you're a chosen people. Don't let on that you have this destiny that's beyond all the Gentiles. Don't let on that you're one day going to enslave everyone. And whatever, whatever you believe about Mashiach. Then, how are you going to teach that? And at the same time, keep it a major secret. And here's another way to put it. So what's the cause of anti-Semitism? Okay, so... It's Pashat, and it's actually a Zayr, for people who don't realize that it's Pashat. The Zayr says in Pashat Vayeshev, that's here in source notes number 8, because the love that Hashem has for Yisrael, has been carved them to him, all the other nations hate Yisrael, because they're far and we're close, right? We're elite, we're snobby, we're the best, so of course they hate us. Tachazi, just like Yaakov loved Yosef more than other brothers, he knew the whole brothers, but still, they wanted to kill him. Culture came to go and want to kill the Jews. Because you gods love people, boom, we're going to get you. He's a jealous. I mean, it's not like jealousy. It's, or, the, you know, we can't even say jealousy because they don't have to believe that we're telling the truth. But the fact that we live that way and, and maintain that publicly is a major problem. Tochazi, says Desire, because the love that Yaakov had to, the extra love that Yaakov had towards, Ace, uh, sorry, towards Yosef, he was exiled from his father. His father ended up going into exile into Mitzrayim, and the whole people went into exile, the whole family. And I would add to this Zayar something really interesting, I think. You read Vayeshev, and um, Yaakov loves Yosef more than all his brothers, and his brothers hate him, right? And it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a, a psychologist to figure out that they hate him, as the Zayar is saying, because Yaakov hates him, because Yaakov loves him more than the other brothers. So what should Yosef do? Yosef should tone it down. The last thing Yosef should do is tell his brother his dreams. Is he stupid? He should keep it a secret. That's his mystery. In other words, his dream about being the ruler, about being the king of all them, about the king, the king of all the brothers, is his own personal mystery. It's the last thing he should reveal to them. And you read the story like, don't tell them your dream. You tell them your dream. You know what they're going to do. <laughs> they're going to kill you. But the fact is that when someone has a destiny, someone has a destiny, to be the king, to be the leader, it's very hard to keep it in. He can't, he's going to reveal the secret. So the story in Vayeshev about Yaakov loving Yosef and one of the brothers, and that causes hatred, and then Yosef comes and says, you know, I'm going to be king of all you one day, and then they end up trying to kill him, basically, almost. Anybody. Yeah, and then that is the story, as the Zayas point, that's the story of Bnei Yisrael and the nations, because Yisrael loves Yosef and Kalbanov, Hashem loves Bnei Yisrael more than the other nations, and he favors them. Okay, keep it quiet. Don't walk around talking about your mysteries. Don't walk around talking about the Messiah. Because then what's going to happen is they try to kill you. So I want to tell you something crazy that 
that the things that Hitler said about the Jews, his recognition that the Jews are are what stands in the way of his crazy vision, is actually true. It's been, because he knew, because he, he actually did know something about the Jews, something true about the Jews, and it's very dangerous for us to know what the Jews are. So what I'm saying is, had we been, let's say, the secret, secret society, let's say we really would have kept the secret, the secrets. Let's say we would have kept the sixth shrua uh, for 2,000 years of being the secretive religion that outwardly shows no difference between us and everyone else and everything that about us is you have to be initiated and you can only get it in secret and you pass it on in secret. When your son becomes 20, he can learn a little bit and when he becomes 30, you can teach him about Mashiach. If everything will be a secret, no Holocaust. Okay? That's, that's all I'm saying. So in the sense, it's like this. We chose... And, and again, I think we sort of had to choose this, and it's a trade-off, and I don't think it was wrong that we chose to talk about the fact of our religion, and to talk about it publicly, and to talk about it in a way that Goyim can understand also, and Goyim can understand. And here's the problem. The problem is Goyim only understand halfway, and that's a lot of times because we only understand halfway. What I mean by that is like this. If someone takes out, some Jew, a Jew takes out of the, the teaching of Jewish destiny, takes out some elitism and some snobbishness, and some racism or something like that, so what happens is he, he misunderstood Judaism, right? Okay. And then for states, obviously the, the, the Gentiles to whom that, he's exposed, that are exposed to him and pick up some of this kind of Judaism are certainly going to resent that. So the first thing is we have to understand the secret fully. We have to know what does it really mean? What our responsibility is? What does it mean to be a king? What does it mean to be a leader? And all that. What does it mean to be a prophet? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to relate to the Gentiles, to the whole world? If we understand it, A, and B, we give that message fully to the rest of the world, then we're, then we're okay. But as long as we don't understand it fully, that's a risk. It's a risk, because no one's going to understand it fully. So if you keep it a secret, and you say, this is Sisrei Torah, this is something only the real Mivinim can understand, because it's a toxic, dangerous topic, fine. But the problem is you want to have people talking about, well, everyone's going to be our slave, and we're going to be kings of the world, which maybe motivates people. I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. But I'm describing a reality that the fact is our religion for 2,000 years, did not operate in secret. Did not operate in secret, so you run a risk that parts of it are going to get out, and they're going to get distorted, like the Jews want to control the world. Where does that come from? It comes from the Torah, obviously. It comes from the truth. It's a distorted truth. A very distorted truth. But sometimes the distortion, unfortunately, happens even within ourselves, our own people, to some extent, and culture gain, certainly, that could lead to, to um, distortion. Other people... So, <clears throat> it's, it's, in my humble opinion, it's a it's a, a mitzvah. The, the Holocaust, it's duh, of course the world hates the Jews. Of course Hitler has this monstrous ideas about the Jews because if you're a monster, then the Jews are actually, are your arch enemy. And everything they stand for is, um, is diametrically opposed to, to um, the thousand year Reich that, that, that monsters can envision. So it's not crazy, and if only we would have kept it a secret, what we're all about. If we only would have, like, like you have, let's say, an evil, basically, what I'm saying is a very simple thing. You have this evil guy with his pagan roots of ideas, like Hitler, and I'm not a Hitler expert, but, but his ideas are obviously antithetical to Torah, right? So, and not to about the ideas of killing the Jews, just in general, the fascists, the whole thing. So, who are his, like, who's, he wants to institute a messianic era, right? But his definition of messianic era, that was me right. Who are the ones in the world that don't let that happen to Jews? He knew that. We know that. And we like to pretend that, no, 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 whatever, we'll keep, our, keep quiet. And, but the problem is we don't really do that. I mean, 
what I'm saying is that had we actually really been a secret religion, say we're actually are in Gullus. So in that sense, I believe Samar was 100% right. Had we really recognized that we're so in Gullus for thousands of years, that we cannot talk about our religion publicly. It's such a toxic and dangerous idea. It's such a volatile, explosive idea, Judaism, that we have to just keep quiet about it. And not talk, not talk about it publicly. And don't Hashem write something down. Certainly don't write it down in a language that they're going to understand. Don't translate the Torah. These are real things. These are real issues. But we didn't do it. We didn't do it. And, and, and okay, Baruch Hashem, we didn't do it. And therefore we have a certain knowledge of Torah and, and Judaism that we wouldn't have had probably if we did it. But we also suffer the, the, the logical, natural conclusions, results. Okay? I want to tell you something really interesting. Um, okay, that is my humble opinion about the matter. That the Holocaust do very much relate to the Shuas, not as a punishment for being Eile Bechoyma, but rather as a natural, inevitable conclusion of being Megal Sight of not keeping our secrets. I want to take a little bit of a detour here until we get to what's the Lamaisa. Just uh, briefly, I'll try to say this a little quickly. One of the if you remember, this is in the previous, one of the previous uh, episodes I mentioned. One of the Shavuos is not to be Dechik the Kates, right? We spoke about that earlier today. And Rashi says, and Rashi says that means, not to, not to have too much supplication for the redemption of the Messiah, which is shocking. What's wrong with asking for something? What's wrong with praying for redemption? So the answer is, as we discussed, that you have to be careful what you wish for. And let's say you ask God for a billion dollars and it's not going to be good for you. If you really, really constantly ask, pester God for it and say, this is the only way I can understand God is if he gives me a billion dollars, then you might, you're sort of forcing God's hand. That has to do with how prayer works. You're sort of forcing his hands and then you're going to get something which is actually not good for you. So you have to be careful what you wish for. Similarly, you say, oh, we have to all be in so we need, we need, we need Google, we need to all be in so we need the Mishnah. You might get it and then you're going to get everything that comes along with it, which is the um, putting B'nai Yisrael, putting the nation of Yisrael in, in stark opposition to the rest of the world, making us too different than them, too visibly different, and that's not healthy. So a little secularism is a good thing, basically, is the idea. You could say it in that way. Um, why, meaning, for why we're here, why, why, we don't, why we don't have the full message of the Torah, we have to tone it down, right? And don't even try to, don't ask for it. <clears throat> because God might grant it to you, basically. So, there's a very interesting Gemara in Megillah, I'm sorry, in Bamatsia, where the Gemara says a really fascinating story, a very, very deep story, in many ways, and um, I'm going to deal with it like on a surface level, because that's how the Gemara says it, but of course you have to really understand, this is so not surface level. And I, I'm giving you that introduction for a reason, um, just so you should know, we have to talk about this on the surface, but it really goes very deep, and I want you to try to understand this in a little realize that these are not exactly linear. So basically it goes like this. Elio used to come to Rabbi's yeshiva. One day he was late, and Rabbi said, why are you late? He said, well, today's a shredish, and I have to wake up Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov to daven, and it's hollow, right? Shredish, long davening. <clears throat> so I wake up Avram, wash his hands, he davens, put him back to bed, wake up Yitzhak, then he put him, he washes, I wash his hands, and then he davens with hollow, and some ice, takes a long time, and then Yaakov. So, um, so Rebbe says, I have a date, so Pasha, why don't you wake them all up at the same time? We have to wake up after um, wait till he finishes Davin, you know. Wake them up all at the same time. Says Elio, no, not a good idea, because if they all Davin at the same time, I'm in and I'm worried, 
that they're going to daven so strongly and they're going to bring Mashiach before it's time. If you have Ahmed's going to act and davening at the same time, Mashiach's going to come. It's not time for Mashiach. No good. Mashiach come, come early, nothing works out, makes big problems. Makes big problems. Rabbi says, is anyone like that in this world? Is anyone like Ahmed Zayakad that if I get to daven at the same time, it's going to be Mashiach? Aliyah said, yeah. Bechia and his sons. Bechia and his sons, Yehuda and Chizkiah, Bechia Tzadikim. Bechia and his sons, daven together, and Mashiach's going to come. So Rabbi says, come, great. Shkoyach. Rabbi makes a tainus, and he gets Bechia and his children to daven together for the Amr, and what happens is, they said, Mashavurach, the wind starts to blow. They said, Meredagesha, the rain starts to fall. They said, Mechayamesim, the world starts shaking. Basically, it's working. So, in heaven, they said, who, who revealed the secret? Aliyah and Navi. They came, they gave him lashes, 60 lashes of pulse of the Nura, and then he went down to the earth and he appeared to Bechia Baruch like a, like a, like a beer, <clears throat> and he made them lose their kavana. Okay. So here's the question. So what's Dechikis HaKetz? What's the problem of being Dechikis HaKetz? What's that Shavu according to Rashi in Ksub Mestav Kufiral Thamnal? Not to be marbebetachnun because he might be Mashiach before it's time. So here we have a story where Rebbe did exactly that. He was told that he was told that if Rebbe had of Dab, and Mashiach didn't come before it's time. So what did he do? He got put of Dab from him. He was over the Shvur, over the Shvur, the terrible Shvur, which is the worst thing in the world, the most dangerous thing in the world. By the way, some of asked this Kasha also. So just again, speculation, really speculation. Um, <clears throat> Rebbe revealed our secrets to the guy. Because if you remember what I said earlier, the Tachuma says the secret of Hashem, which he gave to Bnei Yisrael, is the Mishnah. And that's why the Mishnah is not written down. Rabbi wrote down the Mishnah. Okay, question if he wrote it, but Akabanim, he published the Mishnah. So, so Rabbi was down that path of not keeping the secret. In other words, there's a model of how to be in Gullus, which is everything has to be a secret. And then we can live in peace with the game. But what if you start telling them what we're all about? Then we have to go all the way. You can't keep that half. You, it's, it's untenable to keep this half a relationship where they have, they could read Mishnahis if they want. They'll learn about us, but we're still not in Gullus, we're still not in Gullus, so it doesn't really work. It doesn't work. So Rebbe was sort of forced to bring Mashiach in a way, in a certain sense. I'm saying this for kids, so I want you to think about Try to think about it a little deeply. I don't mean, I mean basically there's, there, there's a, you have to choose your path. And by the way, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that if anyone, Rav said, if, if, if Mashiach is one of the living people, it's Rebbe. It's someone, it's Kigoyin Rebbe, not Kaddish. So Rabbi Huda Hanazi perhaps is this potential Mashiach. And basically the idea is like this. The idea is that any motion that you take which brings us closer to Mashiach, even, even revealing the Torah, Okay, which is a messianic thing that the whole world should know the Torah. The Quran says, "No chesalachim." You know that's Christianity, Islam is corruption of the Torah that's uh, preparing the world for Mashiach. But the point is, you reveal the Torah, you reveal the Torah to a nation, to the guy. What you're doing is you're stepping towards Mashiach. You're taking, you're making a, a messianic motion, movement. You're going close to Mashiach. So then, <clears throat> and then you, what you have to do is you're forced to go further and tell the nations, "No, you know what? I'll actually teach you the whole Torah. Here's what we're all about. We're proud of it. We can, we can stand for it. We can do it." It's, it's sort of an all-or-nothing proposition. Either you're going to do gullus completely, but once you start doing non-gullus things, then you, then you force to do all the other, you force to go even further. So what the Gemara in Ksubis is advising us is an extreme version of how to be safe. How to be safe is don't reveal your secrets, don't be Allah don't be Dechit the Kates, etc., etc. That's 
or an ideal version of how the Jews would have been the safest. And if we would have kept those oaths completely, then nothing would have happened to us. Judaism will look very different today, of course, but <clears throat> we wouldn't have had that whole backlash. Now, okay, I want to go back to the to the lemaisa lemaisa halacha lemaisa. This is the most serious question. Let's be very from here. We have to be really from, right? How are you from about the shvuas? So the way to be from about the shvuas, which is the most serious thing in the whole shas, uh, the most consequential thing in the whole shas, is not to <clears throat> is not to try to read the gemara literally. What we have to really be from about is Jewish blood. That's what we're afraid of. So, so now we get to the <clears throat> practical question of, right, what's the question that we're dedicated to? We're trying to figure out, should we live in Edsoa? Okay. Should we all move there? So now we know what we have to ask ourselves. Would it be dangerous for all of us to move there? Would that provoke something? Would it be dangerous? And I think the answer is not. I think the answer is not. I think after the Holocaust, we now know that it's more dangerous to not have a state. And please remember, we have to be really from, which means we have to really, really think very seriously about what's the safest thing for Jews. If you let your Nagias, if you let your own way of Nagias get into this picture, then, but then actually you shouldn't be thinking about this kind of question, okay? Because we're talking about something which is the most consequential thing in the world. Life and death. Where are the, how are the Jews safer? That's the mitzvah of the Shavuos, to think about how are the Jews safer. Are we safer having a state today? Now, by the way, it's very important. I'm not talking about 1948 or 1930, should we have done these kinds of things. I'm talking about 2021. 2021, should we move to Israel? <clears throat> or are we safer by saying, no, 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 we don't have to be in Israel. We're not. We're not. I don't think we are. I don't think we're any safer in Golis. Especially given that there is a state there's no reason to assume we're safer in Gullis. Now, people like to say, oh, the state is a provocation. The state is not a provocation. Judaism is a provocation. The state is a lightning rod for Judaism. It's a lightning rod for criticism of Jews for anti-Semitism. Judaism is a major provocation. That's the point. We, have, we, can't, we, shouldn't, but we should have kept it a big secret, but we didn't. Because it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not something that anyone likes. It's not something anyone likes to be told that God favors one nation over the other. That's what they can't deal with, as the brothers of Yosef couldn't deal with the fact that he is preferred over his brothers. That's the provocation. So, again, think very carefully. When people like to say the state's a provocation. Yes, people, yes, yes, um, there are going, going to pounce on that. And perhaps they cause, perhaps it does cause some, some danger. But you always have to think about the alternative. How many Jews would have died if there wouldn't be a state? Well, the risk of a Holocaust, I think, has been proven to be a real risk as a, as a reality. And therefore, to say that it's safer for us today as a nation to not go to a state which is extremely secure, there's powerful military, etc., is just complete denying of reality. Now, you maybe you'll say, oh, I want to deny reality because the Gemara says, the Gemara says it's dangerous to be able to so I want to be, I want to read the Gemara literally and I'm going to follow the Gemara. Now, that would be a terrible mistake. A terrible, terrible mistake. To think that on a matter of reality, the way you determine the re a real <clears throat> a question that re regarding a reality, the way you determine that question is by a literal reading of an Agada and by an application of a literal reading of the Gemara, it would be a terrible and deep mistake. 
since the Gemara is about reality, what we have to do is weigh the reality. And and if the reality suggests that Aliyah B'chaimah today is not dangerous, then that's it. That's all. End of the question. There's nothing to talk about. Now, you might say, well, how could it be that Aliyah B'chaimah today is not dangerous if the Gemara says that it is dangerous? So that's an interesting question. Like I said, that won't convince me that it is dangerous. It will not. What convince me that it's dangerous is if someone explains to me that there's some actual danger. It's literally security danger. Now, I'm no major security expert, by the way. So, I'm just telling you what my conclusion is about the danger. Perhaps someone might argue that it is dangerous. I don't think that's the case. Like I said, we do, we, we stand as Jews wherever we are, and we push the narrative wherever we are. The fact, and there is a Jewish state, the fact that we are, all of us are living there, only some, more only half of us are living there is not relevant to the, Jew, the Jewish problem. Not relevant at all, in my opinion. Um, to the degree that maybe it is irrelevant in some way, I don't believe that that rises to the level of what the Gemara is talking about. So, but just back to the point. So if someone would ask, well, how could it be that it's safe today if the Gemara says Suleyala is danger, how does that square? The answer to that is something we're going to get to another time, which is that, I think I mentioned this last week, that the, that the, that the Shavuos have a, a time limit. And if you remember, I mentioned this, I think, in the first episode. What's the time limit of the Shavuos? So the Medjur says, until Acha Techbats. What's Techbats? One shot is until Yitzhak's love for Esav is spent. We'll get to that another time. Another shot is until there's a voice from heaven. Until Hashem reveals his will. And as we mentioned earlier from the Nitzv, you know, how does Hashem reveal his will? Um, by making things possible, perhaps, very likely. So I'm not going to go into that for now because I really don't think it's important. I think, and it's important to not think it's important. If you think that a, a matter of security depends on hinging on, on, on how you're going to be miyashiv a Gemara, that, that is a terrible, terrible mistake. The Gemara wants to teach us how to think, teach us thinking, and it's teaching us to think properly about the matters of Jewish security. And that's what we should do now. We should think properly about it. And we have to be really, really from about this Gemara, about a Gemara that says that it could end up in genocide. We have to be really from about it. And my from kind of this matter is that um, for Jewish blood, it's not any le- more dangerous to be in Eretz Yisrael. <clears throat> On the contrary, the fact that we, there is a country now, and, the, and considering the Holocaust, the fact that we do have a country now, is actually safe. And therefore, therefore um, keeping us secure in that way with the military, etc., that would be the mitzvah of protecting Jewish blood. That's what it seems to me, <clears throat> after carefully weighing this, considering this numerous times over and over, that is my conclusion. This is the crux. Like I said, there's nothing more important than today's share in a way because we're talking about life and death. And 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 like I mentioned in the first year, thank you to the people that did take me up on the offer of getting back to me. I, I asked people to give me some feedback and tell me if you feel otherwise, if I'm making a mistake. I want to reiterate that. And thank you for those people who did that. Appreciate the input and it's been beneficial for the for the shurim. <clears throat> and um, I want to reiterate that. If someone thinks I'm making a mistake, this is a life and death error, and I want to be corrected. This is, by the way, why I said in the first episode that I really want to get this right. This is partially why, because it's not just a matter of halach, it's actually a matter of life and death. And, and for me to say that it's safe to go there and then actually turns out to be unsafe or turns out to be a provocation, that would be terrible, of course. It'd be the worst thing I could ever do. So I don't want to do that. I want to do the right thing, and the right thing, I think, is that um, it's safe. It's very safe. Don't worry about the Aliyah leading to um, any dangers. I think if we all, let's take that hypothetical, if, if there will be a mass movement, 
I don't think that would that would um, change much. Now you might say though you don't want to ask to have let's say a hundred thousand people moving out of New York tomorrow, hundred thousand Jews, because that might make things make it too obvious that we're rejecting America, things like that. That's that's all very true. This has, that's very true. That's part of the shuas, and that has to be managed slowly and carefully. It can't be like we're turning our back on the West, whatever. All these kinds of things, political things, those are t- truly, truly, truly valid. But um, but I think in, in in a global world like we live today, where you know to gra- a gradual kind of movement to Eretz Yisrael <clears throat> and increasing the movement to there, especially given that the ties to to the West and to America and to other countries are are getting strong, our is getting stronger, but in terms of globalization. I don't see it as being uh, an actual risk that rises to the Gemara's level in any way. You know, the unfortunate uh, security risks now and then in Eretz Yisrael are, don't rise to the Gemara's level of, of kind of, um, you know, that there's provocation that causes genocide. Just there's risks in America, there's a risk in every country, and um, that's not what the Gemara's talking about. That's not the kind of calculus that, 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 that stops the Aliyah that's okay. Nearly, Achar Ha'iyun Rav, that there's no danger for us to go there. Next week will be a new topic. The new topic is like this. So now there's this Xero of Gullus, the decree of Gullus, right? Hashem said he's going to send us to Gullus. Does that change anything? Maybe there's no mitzvah to go to Eretzrael. Maybe Eretzrael is not special during this man Gullus. Does that change anything? Does it change anything regarding the mitzvah of the Ramban? Does it change anything regarding the Milo of Eretzrael? That's what we get to next week. But now, before I leave you, I want to share with you some really, really exciting news. Mikey Stone, my, my, my longtime Havrusa and dear friend, and myself, we are launching a new podcast dedicated to discussing topics uh, related to the week's parasha on a really high and intellectual and a meaningful level. We're trying, what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort of break the barrier between us and the Torah, is I guess a way to put it. You'll have to listen to understand what I mean exactly, but to make everything relevant and real to us today in the here and now. And we're having great high-level conversations. I really, we have great hopes of the new project. It could really be revolutionary. Everyone, all listeners, please give that a listen. Share it, rate it, review it, recommend it to others as soon as it's named. And live, we're planning for the coming Monday. So that we'll have it out for um, pre-Pesach. We'll have two, two um, episodes. As soon as it's up, I'm going to provide the link. I'll put that in the podcast description as soon as I have it. Everyone give it a listen. It's great stuff, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. Bye-bye. Till next time.